0: Let's take our Bibles, let's turn to Romans 12. Today is the day we launch into dissecting the first of 12 spiritual gifts we will look at that are still valid today for the body of Christ. Now, on the back little roly desk thing that's in the corner there, I'm not really sure what we call it, um, you're going to find two things if you weren't able to get them. Number one is going to be a list of statements that is asking for your gut reaction in answering. And you've got a little number chart there, how to do it. Zero for never, one for rarely, two for sometimes, and three for almost always. If you haven't grabbed one of these, please do. And also, you're gonna have this answer sheet. Now, we handed these out quite a while ago. Um, But we also wanna make those available to you to use now because these are going to be the basis of what we're going to use for the remainder of our study. And then when we're done with our study, I am going to have us retake this answer sheet because I think as we learn a lot about the spiritual gifts, we're gonna become even more discerning about what the Holy Spirit has called us and gifted us to do and geared us to be here in the body of Christ. There are 12 spiritual gifts. Hello, check, come on. Okay, there are 12 spiritual gifts that are valid for the church. You wouldn't mind, let's bring up the pie chart real quick. Emily made this really, I said, can you do this? Can you make like a Trivial Pursuit pie chart of spiritual gifts? Man, did she ever. This is cool. I love it. So notice you've got preaching, exhortation, teaching, wisdom, knowledge, faith, giving, mercy, helps, ruling, administration, and discernment. These five, from preaching to knowledge, are all speaking gifts. So if you haven't done that yet, on your answer sheet, you would want to turn it sideways. You've got two sections bracketed. The first of these five lines are your speaking gifts. The other seven lines are bracketed into speaking gifts. Now, this right here will be your designation, and I didn't give these to you, but what I'm going to ask you to do is where it says spiritual gift here, underneath, if you would label those A through L, because as we go through each spiritual gift, I'm going to have you fill in the gift where it belongs on here. So you've got all these totals and numbers, and you're like, "Wow, well, I'm really high on this line. I wonder what this is. May the suspense make you press on endurance. I don't know. But yeah, stick with it. So under C, everybody see A, B, C? Everybody see C? Today we're going to be dealing with the gift of teaching. You want to write in next to the C line, teaching. If you scored high in this, more than likely, unless it's a situation where as you grow, you learn a little bit more, you realize, wait a second, that's not me. You have the gift of teaching. God has gifted you as a teacher, and we're going to talk exactly about what all of that is today. In your Bibles, Romans chapter 12, let's look at 6 and 7 and see where this is. And I want to point out something very important to you about how these are to be handled. He says, since we have gifts that differ, so in other words, not everybody's going to have the same gift. That's one of my greatest problems with people who require speaking in tongues in order to authenticate that you're truly saved. Tongues was a gift that was given. And it says we all have gifts that differ. You know what that automatically means? Not everybody, if they had the gift of tongues, is going to have the gift of tongues. So don't let anybody slap that work salvation garbage on you saying that you have to speak in tongues in order to truly have the Spirit. You have the Spirit at the moment that you've responded to the gospel in faith. says here, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Each spiritual gift is a grace. It's a charisma. Charis is the word for grace. It says here, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of their faith. In other words, the point is, If you've got a prophetic or a speaking gift, is another word that we would use for this, then do it how God's gifted you. Let that be what you're all about. Invest yourself thoroughly. Go for it. Now, because in the Greek, this word prophecy does not have an article before it. There's no the to set it up. It means that this prophecy is a category, and that's where we get the category. It's interchangeable with speaking. It says here verse 7, if service, again, it doesn't have the article. Service can also be translated ministry. So if service, there's your serving category for the other seven. If service, in his serving. In other words, if God has given you a gift in the serving category, what should you do with it? Serve! Exactly right. You know what that means? It means that no one in the body of Christ is sitting on their hands. That's not a spiritual gift. You either have something you should be saying or in a way that you should be serving. Anybody want to guess where my gifts are? Thank you. Appreciate that. There's a warm place for you in my heart. Okay. (laughs) Verse 7, if serving is serving, or he who teaches in his teaching. Here's the first one. How do we know that? Because it does have the article in front of it. Therefore, teaching is the first gift that we come across in this passage. What does it mean to have the gift, the grace of teaching? Here's your definition. The gift of teaching is didaskon. The idea is instruction. In fact, do you guys have in your handouts a little little half page in there, the gift of teaching? You should have some of this in there. We're going to look at it in just a second. But I went through lexicons in order to give you a proper definition you might not have this but if you want to write it on there you can instruction in other words it's the idea of providing a clear explanation of a doctrine or a text being able to line it out Sometimes it's usually the person who shows up uh, uh with the um what is that called outline it's the guy who shows up with the outline you're like gosh i hate that guy no you don't you love that guy you need that guy you need them. Why? Because their gift is meant for your benefit in building you up into the head who is Christ. So there's someone who's going to be instructional. There's someone who wants to give a clear explanation. There's someone who's going to deal with doctrine. But not only that, this will be accompanied by a systematic approach and development of a passage or subject while also driving home an application for those who hear. It's the idea of dismantling a text. We have a real good technical word for that. We call it exegesis. It's the idea of what does the Bible say and let's pull the meaning out of it. We're not interested in reading the meaning that we already have into it and trying to make it say something that it doesn't say. The idea is taking that and pulling that meaning out. When we talk about the idea of all scripture is God breathed. We all have one source material of which we are working from. When we talk about the idea of what it is to rightly divide the word of truth, that's specifically given to Timothy. Why? Because you can examine First and Second Timothy, and from all of Paul's conversations to Timothy, you can tell he has the gift of teaching, and we're going to see some of that. Timothy is someone, if you're looking for a biblical person, who has the gift of teaching. If you're looking for somebody who's the model designer, who's the master teacher? Jesus Christ, every gift we're gonna look at, Jesus Christ had. Jesus Christ had all 12 of these gifts perfectly, and we're gonna see some of that today as well. When we talk about the idea of what it is to rightly divide the word of truth, the idea there is if you had a field that was overgrown and just such a mess, and you needed to get to the other side of it. The gift of teacher is the person who comes in with the mower and mows a straight path from one end to the other so everybody can walk down that path Without getting out of line, without finding themselves caught up in the weed somewhere, getting brambles in their socks or whatever else might happen, they're able to make it from one side to the other because a clear line has been paid for them, taking what might be complicated and making it clear. Somebody who might be considered a modern-day example of who was excellent at doing this is Charles Ryrie. If you've ever read any of Charles Ryrie's works, he is an excellent teacher. He has the gift of teaching by the Spirit. Let's go to the next part. Earl Rodmacher, probably my most favorite preacher ever, favorite theologian ever. He says, the God-given ability to lay down in systematic order the complete ladder of a doctrine and to apply it incisively and diligently to life. In other words, a teacher makes sure that it doesn't just stay on paper as something you need to know. That's not what it is. That's a Greek mentality of addressing the Bible. Well, yeah, I know that. Everybody knows that. And then everybody becomes a philosopher based on what they know. That's not the mindset of the Bible. The Bible was written with an overarching Jewish mindset. And the Jewish mindset was it's not just that you know it here, it's the fact that it's become a permanent application in your life or a go to avenue that you can no longer go in the same direction anymore. Because of the truth you now understand from the gift of teaching, you've got to change. You've got to handle your finances differently. You've got to discipline your kids differently. You've got to talk to your wife differently because how the word of God has been set forth in front of you that you can embrace it and live a different life. Now, why is there power in that? Two reasons. Because somebody who is exercising the gift of the spirit has the spirit stirring the hearts of the saints because it's the same Holy Spirit. Everybody see that? No one sees that. Everybody see that? Why does that need to happen that way? Because it's a supernatural work. See, the interesting thing about spiritual gifts that weird some people out is the Holy Spirit is doing supernatural work within the body of Christ. Do you need to prepare your lesson well? Yeah. Do you want to go through and research some things that might be complicated? Absolutely. Do you need to have a pretty superior and awesome Titanic of a book collection? Doesn't hurt. (laughs) Never hurts. Never hurts at all. Yes. When we went to the Prophecy Conference, we came back with a haul. It was beautiful. So, Pastor Steve, does it ever hurt to have enough books? No! (laughs) Never hurts. Why? So that we know our material. But here's the thing. Where does that all really become effectual? It doesn't, the Holy Spirit's work doesn't excuse our need to study with the gift of teaching. If anything, It spurs it on and says, do the best you can because the Holy Spirit has not just gifted you, he's with you in this whole thing. He wants to minister it to the hearts and minds of the people in the body of Christ for their betterment. The goal is to go up. Well, this isn't really a very encouraging subject. It doesn't have to be encouraging to build you up. It just has to be truth. That's all it has to be. So this is what the Holy Spirit's doing behind the scenes. Does someone with the gift of teaching need to invest themselves? Absolutely. But all of that investment is relying upon the Holy Spirit with the confidence of, I have the gift of teaching and the Holy Spirit is going to use this. I'm a willing vessel submitting myself for the service to the body of Christ in his name. Big deal. So what's the next one? Here's some qualities that you're going to find, some characteristics if somebody has a gift of teaching. Number one, they're going to employ a logical, systematic approach to Bible study. They're going to lay it out in such a way as to where either they're walking through the basic tenets of something you need to know. You're not going to find everything about the Holy Spirit in just one passage in the Bible. So chances are they might take that and want to put together a group of information of what the Bible has to say about the Holy Spirit and pull it all together so that we're able to digest and understand it. There's nothing wrong with that approach. That doesn't make it topical study and all of a sudden it's from Satan. That's not what it is. It's the idea of walking through the passages that you're pulling together so that everybody has an understanding of what's been covered. That's still dealing with exegesis, exegeting, pulling the meaning out of the passage. Or it might be simply where they're going verse by verse through the scriptures. That's expository preaching where you go through a situation and you're wanting to go, here's the context, here's the big idea, here's the main theme, here's how it wraps up, here are the major players. You'll They'll identify all of that stuff to have better understanding in fact if any of you right now have a study bible that was the goal of everybody putting together their study bibles they want you to understand the time and the culture and what the atmosphere was like and even what the geography is like they want to give you maps and they want to give you charts and they want to give you comparisons and they want to put scripture alongside scripture that's the whole idea of teachers investing themselves for the betterment of the body of christ they're going to have a heavy emphasis on responsible action in light of what is known Anytime that biblical truth is communicated through the gift of teaching, it was never meant to sit and pass away. Too much truth passes away from the body of Christ. This is why we give out pens. This is why we give out sermon booklets. This is why we have even some just ruled paper that we try to stick in there or give something that will last beyond Sunday. Sometimes Sunday is just like gone. Well, we went to church. We kind of did our thing. We're not here to be religious, guys. We're here to grow in our relationship with the Lord. So there's something for us to take along with this because truth transcends these walls. Somebody's going to set it up in that way so that application happens. The goal is to light fires in hearts so there's fires under butts. The body of Christ needs to be different, more conformed as a whole to the image of Christ. The next one, They're going to have the ability to explain things clearly and concisely. Maybe not always concisely, but hopefully clearly. Guilty as charged. How about the next one? To summarize, evaluate, and pick out main points in a presentation quickly. In other words, when they hear teaching from other individuals, they've got discernment about what's going on. There's just a knack that they have for picking up on it and finding where's the truth and where's the error. Why? Because if teachers are to do anything, since their source material is always the word of God, they've also got to be vanguards of the body of Christ. They've got to be protectors against those doctrines that might come in in order to lead people astray. Let's not act like that doesn't happen. We're not a perfect church. We do not live in a perfect world, and there is a ton of influence that's either being fed into our lives or our kids' lives at any given moment. We have got to be plugged into the gift of teaching of the word of God. We have to. We've got to know why we believe what we believe. How about the next one? To set an example in behavior, a model for others. What is that saying? It's saying that the truth had to take root in the teacher's life and change their perspective and the way that they live because at some moment, if you're not sure what to do, you're going to find somebody who you know studies the Scriptures and you're going to ask the question, what do you think about my situation? At that moment, the person with the gift of teaching is responsible for exercising their gift of teaching by taking that person to the Word of God. Here's the reason why life experience does not matter when it's compared to truth. Are you saying that we shouldn't care for the elderly in the church? No, I'm saying we very much should. But I'm saying if the elderly believe something other than the Word of God, that is not a reliable source. It all comes back to God's word. All of it comes back to God's word. That's all the reason why we have to make sure and careful that we're grounded in that. In fact, I would say this. Some of my greatest texting droughts I've had with people has been because they asked, what What should I do about my situation? And so I start sending them scripture, and I don't hear about it from them for like six months because they didn't like it. I've had people reason and beg with me on the phone. I had some guy call me 10.30 at night one time. Man, sorry to bother you. I just really needed your opinion on this. What's the flag word? Opinion. My opinion. Now, here's the idea. I mean, be honest. What does my opinion matter in his situation, regardless of what it is? Nothing. Nothing. Jeremy has nothing to say. Why? Because Jeremy's sinful and broken and needs Jesus just as much as anybody. So he said, man, spent the week with you. I'm going to let you go. I said, man, what's the problem? Man, you don't understand. I just really love my girlfriend. We know where this one's going, right? And I'm just wondering if it's wrong that I'm with my girlfriend. What do you think? This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. There it is, 1 Corinthians 6, pretty clear. Yeah, your body's a temple. Your body is a temple. You've been bought with a price, the blood of Christ. Do not unite your temple with a prostitute. How dare you call my girlfriend a prostitute? what's she doing? Think about it. Think it through. Where are we talking that value and worth lies? I still haven't heard from that guy since. That was 19 years ago. I haven't talked to him since. See, that's the interesting thing about the gift of teaching. If you have the gift of teaching, the answers are already provided for you. You just got to know where they're at and allow for the opportunities to come along for the Holy Spirit to minister them out. They have to be careful in study. They have to give attention to detail. They like to be prepared. They avoid impromptu situations. The impromptu situations are for the preacher, okay? It's for the one who has the gift of prophecy or the gift of preaching, okay? Now, just to go ahead and pull the cat out of the bag, I have teaching and preaching. Those are both mine. So if you want to get me in a group, or if you want to spring something on me, I don't care. I will talk to you, okay? And I want to talk all about what Jesus has to say about it. They avoid impromptu situations. They prefer group settings to one-on-one settings. It's a group teaching thing, getting doctrine in the hearts and minds and lives of people all at one time. Now, how is this utilized throughout the Bible? Number one, we need to look at the importance of teaching and how this goes. And so if you wouldn't mind, Stick with me, we're gonna move kind of rapidly because of the time that we have, but I wanna show you some things. Number one, in fact, don't turn there, but you wanna mark it. I wanna show you this, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, if you wanna write it down, because this is an important verse. We're gonna cover it later when we get into 1 Corinthians 12. It's where we're going after we get done with Romans 12. God is appointed in the church. Now remember, it's God who gives the gifts He gives them through the Holy Spirit. He ministers as they see need. Christ died in order to take those things captive, in order to distribute them to the church. God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third who? Teachers. That's how important this is. Apostles already passed off the scene. Prophets already passed on the scene. They fulfilled their ministries in the church. We have the completed New Testament. So now the idea is what God has revealed through them Should be constantly revolving in the teaching through the gift of teaching in the local church. Turn with me to this one Acts chapter 2, verse 42. A very important and foundational. In fact, I would say that this verse is descriptive. Yes, it is. But it's also very much where we can lick our fingers and hold them to the wind to see how we're doing at Grace Bible Church. This is the first church the church in Jerusalem acts chapter 2 verse 42 and this is an excellent summary of what the very first church having the indwelling holy spirit having heard the gospel of Jesus Christ believed it and been saved here's what they valued here's what was most important in their community they were continually devoting themselves continually devoting themselves they were occupied with these things this is what was taking up their time. We talk about time management. This was taking up their time. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' what? Teaching. Now stop for a second. Think about what you know about what Jesus said. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, going into all the world, right? Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. What is the source material that the apostles are using in their teaching the early church? All of the teaching of Jesus Christ. Everybody see that? Even they had reliable source material that they're pulling from, and the idea is to be instructing and continually embedding in this church. Notice it wasn't, man, we really need a disco ball in the middle of the auditorium. We need that fog machine. It's none of that stuff. It's the idea that the apostles' teaching needs to be front and center. It's the idea of getting us thinking about reality in God's way because God is a creator of all things. Notice it's the apostles' teaching to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Notice that teaching is a primary point that goes there. Turn with me to 1 Timothy 4. Let's see this spiritual gift being encouraged by Paul to Timothy 1 Corinthians, or sorry, 1 Timothy 4. Corinthians where am I at? 1 Timothy 4 Make your pages rustle that's how I know you're with me. 1 Timothy 4 And we're actually going to see three special gifts in this in this first verse here. Look what he tells Timothy. Verse 13, until I come, give attention. The idea there means turn to or bring to light or bring it to the forefront of everybody's attention. Make this the main thing everybody's looking at. Look what it says. To the public reading of Scripture. Right there you have the idea of reading Scripture out loud or making Scripture the focus out loud in the church. That's preaching. Notice here, to the exhortation. That is the rebuking and encouraging of people. It's the recognizing what is wrong and then spurring on to the things that are right according to the Word of God. That's another spiritual gift. And also to the teaching, to instruction. Look what he says. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you. You know what he's saying there? He's saying don't do it in your own power. Because in you there is none. In flesh there is none. Instead, you have a spiritual gift. That's the avenue of which you minister. Be all about that. Use that. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Now, here's here's what we immediately could conclude. Are you saying that in order for somebody to have that spiritual gift, it's not just something that needs to be involved with the truth, but also the leaders of the church need to lay hands on somebody? No, hands are led on people as a public recognition of something that's already there. You don't lay hands on somebody with the hopes that they'll be an elder. That's called a dumpster fire, okay? Instead, you deal with somebody who has shown themselves to be completely in line with the qualifications given, and then after a time of observing that and having credible evidence of it where the Spirit's working, you lay hands on it to recognize it publicly. That's the idea. So this wasn't like, and we give to Timothy the gift of teaching. There's some churches that do it like that. It's not biblical. Notice he says here after that, verse 15, take pains with these things. The word pains. If it's Jesus, you can answer it. Close enough. Go ahead. Verse 15, take pains with these things. The word pains. It means practice. It means study. It means repetition. It means involvement. Get tethered in. Invest yourself, Timothy, in these things. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them. Why? So that your progress will be evident to all. So that your gift of teaching just isn't like, hey guys, I got the gift of teaching. It is, without a shadow of a doubt, we recognize in our body that such and such has the gift of teaching. You have a question about that regarding Bible doctrine? I may not know it off the top of my head, but let me do the wise thing and send you to the person that God has granted the gift of teaching within our body, and let them handle that situation. That's how the body of Christ should work. Recognizing who has what? Make it evident. Involve yourself in it, and it will burst at the seams. He says here, verse 16, pay close attention to yourself. Don't get too high on yourself. And you're what? Notice that. Keep yourself in check with your own spiritual gift. Make sure that you're not worried about trying to communicate and apply it to everybody else and bypass yourself in the process. Make sure that you are submitting yourself to the Word of God as well. Pay close attention to yourself and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation. Salvation. Oh, that they're really saved? No, that they're growing, that they're being saved from the power of sin right now in the here and now that they're looking for the sinful situation that's coming up on Monday and the choice that they could make. And they're saying, you know what? Because of what I know about the word of God now, that is no longer an option. I am Xing out that sin option right now. It's no longer viable because the communication of the truth is ministered to my heart. I can no longer operate how I did before I walked in. That's the idea. How about our next passage that we see here? Turn over one chapter. Maybe you don't even have to turn over. Chapter five, verse 17 the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard, notice, work hard at preaching and teaching. Two spiritual gifts minister. Now here's what this tells you. Number one, There are some elders who are going to have the gifts of preaching and teaching. They are worthy of double honor. And if you look at verse 18, it's talking about they are worthy of the church financially supporting for the value of those gifts being constantly disseminated within the body of Christ. If we're not centered around the word because the word exalts Jesus Christ, what in the world are we doing? That's not a church. So the word of God has to be front, central focus all the time. But what this also tells us is there are some elders who are there to rule and administer and oversee those things and might have some of those serving gifts who might not necessarily be preaching and teaching gifted. Are all elders supposed to be able to teach? Yeah, if called upon to do so. But does that mean that all of them have the gift of teaching? Not necessarily. Here it says that there is a delineation within that realm. And we should accept that for what it is. How about the next part, Titus? Turn over to Titus. This is a good one. Titus 2, verses 3 through 5. Now I'm going to avoid the hot water here. And I'm going to let you discern what qualifies as an older woman. However, I will not come down biblically on what that might mean. I have ideas and could defend it, but thank the Lord this does not call for me to do that. What I want to show you here is the fact that the gift of teaching was not just given to men, women can have the gift of teaching. Now, as far as the pastorate of the church, that is a male only role. And I know that's not popular to say today, especially in evangelical circles and what's going on, but I'll go ahead and tell you I don't care. The Bible is very clear. A woman is not to usurp authority over a man, especially on the, uh, the object of public worship and teaching and preaching of the word of God. The Bible's really clear. If you don't like that, let's talk about it. I'll show you in the scripture where it is. And then you're, you can be upset with God over it. But the Bible's very, very clear. I don't say that to be mean. It's just, I don't understand why it's an issue with people. Because when it becomes an issue with people, it shows you don't believe that God has really spoken in this matter. You want what you want. You don't want what God wants. It's a heart problem. So bypassing all that, verse three. Chapter 2 of Titus, verse 3, older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine. Look at this teaching what is good. Having a means of communicating what is good. Now, stop for a second. We can just put this together. Is the Bible good? The Bible's good. Notice that this doesn't come from, well, I've lived many years and here's my advice to you. That might be helpful, but if it's not rooted and plugged into the scriptures, we got problems. How do I know that? Watch what the subject of teaching is in the next verses. Verse four. So that there's your reason. They may encourage the young women. Now, here's what's interesting about this word, encourage. Everybody, see your marginal note over there. What's it say? What's it say? Train. That's not. Ooh, ooh, that's not train. It's the idea of something being repetitively communicated so that it begins to become a framework of life of which you can hang application on because it's living in a different way. What would it be possible for older women who are seasoned in the word of God to communicate to younger women that they may not know? I'm glad you asked. Here it is. They may train, they may encourage the young women to love their husbands. Stop. Younger women, if you're here going, how in the world am I supposed to love this thing that I've been joined to? What was I thinking? You're not in an odd position. The Bible tells you right here, younger women have to be taught what it is to love their husbands. It doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come easy. You don't just slide on in and it just works. It works for the first year. That's because you're both hiding. Am I right? Year two, what happens? All the ugly comes out with everybody, right? This is who I really am. And you're going. <laughs> now that, that never happened in my situation. You hear that, baby? It never happened in my situation. But women have to be taught this. It's something, in fact, think about this. If the basis of this knowledge comes from the Word of God, you can only love your husband correctly, supernaturally. See that? It has to be the Spirit pushing that. Why? Because when we talk about love, how has the world defined love? Is that different from how the Bible defines love? Oh, good grief. In fact, is God's love for us not supernatural? Think about it. They use a word for it, agape. Agape is a selfless love that is freely distributed to someone expecting nothing in return. That is not the world's definition of love. That is a supernaturally motivated, a wellspring coming out type of love for someone else. Man, you think that needs to be taught? From an older woman who's walked with the Lord for many years to the younger women who are saying, gosh, I find myself in this new phase of life. And they may have been believers for years, but wow, this is a whole nother realm. Yeah, older ladies, you have something to say. You have something to say, and it comes through here, channeled into your experience as you've obeyed the word of God in order to communicate to these younger ladies. And I promise you, they may not raise their hands right now and say, me, 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 but they need it. This is also called discipleship. It's discipleship happening in the church. Notice what else needs to be taught to love their children. Good grief. This is why other parents look across the room and go, Not my monkeys, not my circus. Right? Because that needs to be communicated. We've all said back if you've ever had kids, you're sitting there at three o'clock at night staring at the ceiling, rocking this child who won't be quiet. You're like, what am I doing? We didn't have this too long ago. My wife was like, are you doing okay over there? It's 2.30 in the morning. Zachary I'm going to sleep. He's teething, all kinds of crazy stuff. And I'm just going. Because <laughs> <laughs> dude, I don't know. And I'm not going to pretend to have the soothing magic that's needed, okay? I can't expel the arm as this child. I just can't do it. It's not happening. That needs to be taught. It needs to be taught. Now, some of you have brought this whole, will you just take some brandy and smear it on their gums? I'm not for sure how much of that's from the Spirit. I'm just going to tell you. That's getting them filled with spirits, but that's not full of the Spirit, okay? Moving on. How about this? Verse 5. They need to be taught to be sensible. Anybody know a young girl that's not sensible? Of course not. But do you think that some older ladies in the church investing the word of God in younger ladies in the church would bring that into alignment with God's word? How about pure? Do our young ladies need to be pure? Praise God. Guess what? That's something that has to be taught. It has to be taught. How about this? Workers at home? Oh my gosh. Women's lib. Let's go out back and start burning bras. Are we getting crazy about that? Or what are they saying? They're saying that your role as a mother is highly exalted because it's gifted by God and your family has value and worth. You are the major player that God has put there. Invest. Invest yourself wholeheartedly. That's what it's getting at. Everybody wants to use this as, well, Paul was just a male chauvinist. No, he's not. He encouraged the teaching of women. Nobody else in his time was. Oh yeah, except Jesus. This was very revolutionary, very counterculture. Notice it says here, to be kind, that has to be taught. How about being subject to their own husbands? That has to be taught. Notice to have a respect. So that the word of God will not be what? Dishonored, so that they don't grow up to live a life that constantly defames the name of Christ and renders the truth before public eyes as ineffectual. It is the investing in the teaching of what it is to live a supernatural life. It has to be taught. It has to be taught from the Word of God. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew 5. The master teacher, Jesus Christ. There's been many opinions about Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I talked with a few of my dispensational free grace brothers uh, at the conference we went to about this. And none of them agreed with me, and I'm okay with that. Chapters 5, 6, and 7 are known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's the longest recorded sermon that Jesus ever spoke. And, and too many people have looked at this and said, well, it's just for Jews. Or uh, it's just to convict the Jews of their sin and bringing them to faith in Christ. There's nothing about the cross here. There's nothing about the resurrection here. There's nothing about calling on them to believe in Jesus for salvation. You do not find that in these three chapters. But I think someplace that we can settle, even though this is pre-church when this was spoken, was this is what it is to have a, disciple epi- ep- a discipleship ethic in your life. What does it look like to follow Christ? What does it look like to sit under his teaching and have those teachings applied to your life? Some people have said, well, the Sermon on the Mount, you can't really take it that way because nobody can keep that. I don't know if this is a newsflash, but nobody can keep everything written in the Bible. That's why we need grace. We need grace, and that's why we confess sin, because we're messing it up but I don't think we can discount this as obedience. Now, why are we showing this? Because Jesus is going to start out showing that he's a teacher. He's going to give a massive encouragement. He's going to talk about a present condition of life. And he's going to talk about how that gives way to a future glory. In other words, he's going to systematically set up some tenets for our lives and show us how if we would just desire to have these qualities be present, it is actually going to give way to greater glory in the life to come. Chapter 5, verse 1, when Jesus, he's the speaker, if you want to write that in, saw the crowds. He went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Stop. If Jesus is the speaker, who's the audience? Use your hermeneutics. His disciples are the audience. Notice it's not the crowds. At the end of this teaching, you'll find that the crowds show up later but he actually removes himself. He sets down, which was the common stance of a rabbi or a teacher at that time, and his 12 disciples come up to him. And all 12 are in here. If you look at this comparison with Luke, there's 12 of them, okay? Matthew's not necessarily in chronological order. Luke is. There's all 12 of them there. He says here, he opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This word poor means beggarly. In other words, someone who's not thinking high and much of themselves, but one who is choosing to take the low road. In fact, some of your translations say what? What does it say if you've got a different translation? you got something different? No one has anything different. It's all poor in spirit. What do you got? It's all poor in spirit. Okay. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs. Is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, you will be greatly blessed by God if your current situation, if your current characteristic in life is to be poor in spirit, humble, not thinking much of yourself, because it's going to give way to the greater glory. And what is that? You're actually going to possess the kingdom of heaven, you're going to own it. It's yours. How about the next one? Look at the next one. Verse 4 Blessed are those who mourn. Does that sound like fun? No, not necessarily. Nobody woke up saying, I really hope I get to mourn today. But it's a characteristic you have. Why would you mourn? Anybody ever look at the state of affairs going on in our world and you find that mourning is a very acceptable response? Yeah. I don't think this is too far-fetched from what we might be thinking when we look at the truth compared to what's going on. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be, notice future tense, comforted. Blessed are the gentle, or the who? The meek meek is not being weak the gentle those who approach things gently for they shall inherit the earth they will have an inheritance notice it says here blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness your present condition why for they shall be satisfied shall be in the future does everybody see how he's systematically lining these things out so it's a very careful pattern Follow. Look what else he says. Blessed are the merciful. Are you merciful to people? For they shall receive mercy. Future tense. Blessed are the pure in heart. Presently. Why? For they shall see God. You're guaranteed a face to face meeting with God in an intimate way that no one else will have. Why? For the simple fact that you are pure in heart. How about blessed are the peacemakers? For they shall be called sons of God. That's a special privilege that only certain believers get. Verse 10, blessed are those who have been, it's past, but it's in the perfect tense, who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. In other words, for the sake of Christ, because you stood up for the right things and you stood for his name. You're blessed. Why is that? Look what it says. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Why? For your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way, if you want to know a model of what it looked like, for in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Do you think that the prophets who gave their lives for speaking truth have a rich reward in heaven? Absolutely, they do. When that happens to you, Christian, it's the same. When that happens to you, disciple, you can be guaranteed. Does everybody see how Jesus is very systematic? Yes? Let me ask you a question Can you see how this speaks to the times? And you said, what does it look like to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ in a set-apart mindset in the midst of an evil and dwindling generation? This is how you do it. These are the things that you value. Why? Because it keeps your eyes out ahead of what you will be blessed with when the end comes. Sounds like some really good exhortation teaching to me. Look what he moves on to after that. Verse 13. You're the salt of the earth but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? Notice how applicable that is to now. How do I know that? I know that because the cake lady doesn't cuss like a sailor when I come to pick up my cake. You got that person who's like, oh, well, here comes that church person. And all of a sudden they're quiet. You ever have that happen? All of a sudden, everybody became Boy Scouts when you walk into the room. You know what that tells me? They know the truth, but they're living in denial of it. But for some reason, the truth through us convicts. The light is bright. You're the salt of the earth in that situation. You're the preservative, keep it from decaying. In fact, think about this. When the rapture occurs and we all have the indwelling Holy Spirit, we're told in 2 Thessalonians, the restrainer will be removed from the earth and the earth can be as evil as it desires to be. Why is that? Because of the rapture, we all hold the Holy Spirit because that preservative is shining through us, you remove the preservative and everything spoils. Everything spoils. How about this? It's no longer good for anything. In other words, if if you're not there to be a preservative, if you're not living as a preservative, it's not good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under the foot by men. You are the light of the world. Notice they're all present tense. This is what you are. You're a bright, shining beacon in the midst of incredible darkness. Look what he says out of that. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. What is that called? Arson. It's a house fire. No one lights a candle and says, I hope nobody sees this. The whole reason why you lit it was to see more. This is the whole reason why Jesus lit me and lit you. He lit us so that the world would see. Everybody see how he's teaching this and he's applying it. Here's what you are. Here's how you handle who you are in God's eyes. Everybody see how it's systematic like that, yes? Okay, we've got that. Let's move on. Look over at chapter six. I just wanted to cover this because I want you to see what the perfect examination of the gift of teaching looks like. This is great because this deals with pride. Now, I know that pride is not a relevant subject for anybody in this room, okay? Well, this is not something we have a problem with, nor have we ever. But for the sake of the sermon we're just going to look at it chapter 6 verse 1 i love it beware well that doesn't sound very uplifting it doesn't have to be it just has to be true and the question is are we heeding this call beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them otherwise you have no reward with your father who is in heaven In other words, you came to church to put on a religious show. It wasn't about gathering with like-minded saints in order to worship the God of glory. It wasn't. You wanted everybody to see how holy you are. You wanted everybody to put the spotlight on you. You wanted them to take the spotlight off of Jesus Christ so that you could be awesome in the sight of many people. Well, guess what? As soon as somebody turned around and said, man, Zach is, good grief, brother. Wow. Wow. As soon as they did that, guess what? That's all the reward Zach gets. That's it. Because it was all about flesh, it wasn't about spirit. Jesus speaks to this. What's your attitude when you come to church? What's your attitude when you come to worship? What's your attitude when you come before God? I mean, let's be honest. That's exactly what's going on when we come here. We're before God. If anybody else was around you or not, it wouldn't matter. You're still before God. The audience you came for is still here, and you're before him. So beware practicing your righteousness. He will not reward you for that because it was all about you, not about him. Look what he says, verse two. So when you give to the poor, what you're doing with your money? Notice this. Oh, I hit you in the pocketbook. I hate it when Jesus does this. Is it applicable? Is it relevant? Is it speak to now? Yes, it does. When you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you. Can you imagine that? Ba-ba-da! I'm giving. Right? And half of the people are like, gosh, not that guy again. Right? And some are like, whoa, how much are they going to give? Let's see it. What are you going to do? How much is that check? Show everybody. <laughs> right? Final countdown starts playing in the background. Anyway, moving on. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue. What are they? Hypocrites. Man, this is good teaching. Don't be a hypocrite. When they do that in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full, but when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You know what that's saying? Nobody needs to know. Put them in your pocket and do it. Why? Because everybody else's opinion doesn't matter. A hill of beans. In fact, the whole point of being a cheerful giver as we're commanded in the New Testament is because we've already settled that issue with the, with the Father. So give, and don't let anybody know. Don't let anybody know. If you need to, come in between Monday and Thursday and drop your offering in the box if you're worried about it. That's fine. Nobody needs to know. Sounds like pretty relevant teaching to me. Let's move on to chapter seven. We'll finish here. Chapter seven, verse one. Everybody, love, man, this is the world's favorite verse. You ready? Here it is. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. Can't judge me. Yes, I can, you freaking pagan. Is that not loving? How can we judge that they're acting in a pagan way if we can't discern that? Or is it talking about something else and dealing with judging? See, some of you are unnerved I said that. That doesn't mean I have to handle them hatefully, but you find time and time and time again where people had to call out the wrong in their generation. And it's because we're not doing that that we're in the position that we're in. How do you think we got here? I'll tell you, the church was silent. The people who had the market on the corner of the truth hid the truth. That didn't mean we became like the world. There's enough of that going on in churches. We stopped shining the light that said, You're wrong! Well, you have to accept everybody. No, I don't. Your sin separates you from your creator. Let me tell you about the one who dealt with it. Because you're doing all these things to try to massage your conscience to say that life's okay. Life is not okay. Living apart from God is not okay. And if a mindset and a heart set has become paganized, how dare we be quiet about it? Can I be a little bit kinder if I use the word pagan? Yeah, doesn't change the fact that they're a pagan. They're godless. They don't respect God. Why is me pointing that out wrong? His opinion obviously doesn't matter. So why does shining light on that fact let me ask you this. Did you have come to the Savior without knowing you needed one? You didn't. Until somebody made it very clearly evident and the Holy Spirit convicted you of your sin problem, you had no need for a Savior because you were going to take care of everything. I was going to take care of everything. I was going to run my life the way I wanted to. It's going to work out the way that I had. I've already got it all planned out. No. That's self-absorbed. That's what Satan does. Somebody needs to tell the world they're wrong. I think it ought to be us. Speak the truth in love? Sure. Fail at the truth? Never. Never. So when somebody comes up or they're at the baseball game holding up the idea, do not judge lest you be judged. You can't judge me for my lifestyle. Yes, I can. You're living in sin. You're a pagan. You're apart from the word of God. You need a savior. Yes. I don't understand why that truth will be shocking to anybody. I think we're all in agreement that everybody's going to hell in a handbasket in our world. Why is it wrong for us to tell them that that's their condition? They don't know it. They think it's great. It's not. They are in bondage to sin. They think that their investment in these worldly things is just great, and it's not harming anybody. I'm just doing my own thing, taking care of myself. That's a problem. It's called sin. There's a remedy and it's the Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's not be gray on this area, guys. Let's not. So when they want to talk about judging, let's see what Jesus has to say. In the way you judge, you will be judged. There you go. The check is yourself. How are you in comparison to that? Look what it says after that. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and don't notice the log in your own eye? That's always a fun illustration, right? What's wrong with you guys? Notice that the judgment is to be sober. See, that's the interesting thing. It's not thinking much of ourselves and standing it over and lording it over somebody. How dare you like that? No, it's recognizing the fact that at one time I needed a Savior too. There's the grounds of communication. Look at verse 4. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold, the log is in your own eye? You what? Does that sound very kind? Does Jesus sound very loving here? Is Jesus honest? I'll tell you this. I have no doubt he's speaking with the tone of love here. But Jesus never let his love overshadow the truth. Not one time. If you want to talk about downing everybody else and holding them up for contempt, and you've got this massive problem going on in your own life, you're a hypocrite. That's what he's saying. How do you rectify that? Look what he says. First, take the log out of your own eye. We say it this way today check yourself before you wreck yourself. Deal with you, get right with the Lord on this issue first. And then what does it say? Then you will see how? Clearly, soberly. Your glasses aren't fogged up. They don't have smudges from fingerprints on them. No, clean your glasses first. And then you can see the situation for what it really is. See clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. What is the whole point behind this? The gift of teaching is vitally important in the church. It brings conviction. It brings exhortation towards a better way of life. It corrects wrong thinking. It should spur us on to want to be the difference because every one of us is a missionary where we've been placed by the Lord. We're ministers in the body of Christ. We're missionaries outside of the body of Christ. And the gift of teaching is what gives us the framework to work from. But understand this. Anytime that there's an exercise of the gift of teaching, If it's been separated from the Lord Jesus Christ in some way, it is not valid. It's not. It is a spiritual gift. It has to be spiritually discerned, spiritually utilized. If you've scored high in this category, I would love to talk to you. I'd love to talk to you after this because we have a need for teachers right now. We have a need for teachers. We need to broaden out our scope of teachers right now. And if you have this gift, you can work now, serve now in the realm of your gifting. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the gift of teaching. Thank you, God, that it is meant to impart truth to us so that it is crystal clear that we have an understanding of the truths of Scripture, of the truths of reality as you have set forth. The Father, when people are in blatantly sinful situations, We are to draw from what we have learned here and bring that truth into their lives, to shine that light, to be that salt, to be discerning of those things. Father, let us not be prideful or haughty, but to deal with ourselves and our sin first, confessing it before you, saying the same thing you say about it, knowing that you cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that we can reach across and help our brother or sister in Christ come to terms with their sin as well. Thank you for this time together. It's in Christ's name, amen.